resolution that uh, First United Baptist Church had made, and I was here with the Arcona Men's Quartet, and I got to introduce them. But in neither of those instances did I get to be here for very long. And so this is a great privilege to be here uh, with all of you. You know, Scripture is a gift from God. And it's given for us so that we might grow in him. Scripture is meant to address things that might be lacking in our lives, to encourage things that we find in our lives, to instruct us so that we know our Lord better. It is a marvelous gift. And so this morning we're going to open Scripture. We're going to look into uh, the first chapter of John, uh, which is verses 35 to 42, which have been read for us. And we're going to take a look there at Andrew. Andrew, for me, was a fascinating uh, disciple. He really is. First of all, poor Andrew is always called the brother of Simon Peter. Every time he's introduced, every time they talk about him, he's the brother of Simon Peter. And I know what it's like to have an older brother, right? First day in uh, West Hill Secondary School, I'd come to high school, I was entering into my English class, and the teacher's going down the list, checking who was there, and he goes, hmm. Brian, Glenel, are you related to Ray Glenel? I said, yeah, he's my older brother. She said, oh, that's great. i got a seat for you right here by my desk. You can sit right here. Now, luckily, Andrew's brother was a different character altogether. And we're going to get into talking about him in just a few seconds. I love to read. And while I was reading, I came across a little thing. And sometimes you get these little things that just sort of pop off the page for you. And you look at it and go, wow, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty smart. I think I, I could borrow that. Preachers do that a lot, by the way. Borrow things. And it was this. It says, here are four marks of a witness. First of all, a witness has firsthand experience of Christ. In order to be, a have, to be a witness, you have to have something to witness to. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You have to be, have first-hand experience of Christ. You can't share somebody else's experience. You can't live your life off of somebody else's experience. It's got to be you. You have to make that connection with the Lord. Second, a witness must be able to express themselves verbally. Now, we all like to know, and it's true, that we can give witness through our actions, the way we live our lives, our acts of kindness. In fact, Jesus was uh, very uh, keen on acts of kindness. And as you know, when he's giving the Beatitudes, he said, you know, let your good deeds be seen by men so that you can give glory to God who is in heaven. Good deeds are great but they're not a full witness. You have to be able to give testimony to it. Um, you know, in a court case, when a witness comes to the box to talk, that's what they expect from him. He's going to tell you what he knows. Third, a witness will have confidence in the power of God. That keeps your priorities straight. It's too easy in this world to get caught up with accolades and start to think too highly of ourselves. It can happen. We have a success here, we have a success there, and all of a sudden we think more of ourselves than we probably should. 
You see this often in the world of entertainment where somebody thinks they are a bigger star than they really are. And then they find out, much to their chagrin, that they are easily replaceable. We have to have confidence in power, but it is the power of God, because it's the power of God that transforms us, that changes us, that saves us from our sins, from the punishment of those sins, and makes us into a member of God's own family. A member of God's family with experiences that they can share of how the power of God changed them. The power of God, we know also, is, can be a miraculous power. And sometimes mir miracles are bigger, and sometimes they're smaller, but I truly believe that miracles are all around us. This morning I was having a chance to talk to my friend Beth about my daughter. And my daughter is a nurse, and uh, she's very good at what she does. But when she was born, she just didn't seem to be very strong. She didn't seem to stay healthy. She seemed to be sick all the time. And as she grew a, a little more into her first and into her second year, we realized that something was wrong. Her vocabulary wasn't increasing. Her size wasn't increasing. She was sick all the time. In fact, we used to say we knew when it was pain week because we had a new prescription to get for Christy. Nobody knew what to make of it. We were living in Vermilion, Alberta at the time, and so our doctor sent us into Edmonton to the university hospital there where we could find a specialist. And we took Christy in, and we waited and waited, and then all of a sudden things started to happen real fast. And Christy was whisked away, and they ran tests on her. They did this, they did that, and then the doctors came to talk to us. And they informed us that Christy probably wasn't leaving the hospital that they didn't know what was wrong, and they didn't know what to do about it. But they feared that the worst. But Christy survived through that, and they were able to figure out that she had an immune problem. Something in her blood just didn't fight germs. Couldn't fight anything that came into her body. They were so puzzled by this. Now, this was 1985. And so they tested her for a brand new disease that had come over from Africa. That's right. It was that bad that they thought it might be AIDS. They've never seen AIDS in a two-year-old before, but they thought it could be. And so we had to bring, come in and bring her in every few weeks for tests in, um, in Edmonton. And we would always wait for the results. We got a phone call once from her specialist. And he said, and we've never forgotten these words, there is no earthly reason for this, but your daughter's blood is perfect. There's no earthly reason for this, but your daughter's blood is perfect. What we weren't aware of is that we both worked, Shirley and I, and so we had Christy in daycare, and it was a home care situation. It was a home care of a lady from the uh, Alliance Church in Little Vermilion, Alberta, and she had taken great interest in Christy and her health, and so she got all of her friends together in her women's group, and they prayed. Every second day, they committed to pray for Christy. And I firmly believe that the reason we got that phone call from the doctor was because God had heard their prayers, 
answered their prayer and applied his power to Christie's life. As the doctor said, there was no earthly explanation for it. None. And yet, that's the power of God. Now, finally, number four that I came across in this four marks of a, of a witness is a witness will have compassion upon others. Lots of people express themselves verbally, but often it is in um, gossip, in trying to inflict hurt on someone, in trying to elevate themselves at the expense of someone else. But compassion changes what we say and how we say it. It changes us to, again, show the love of God. God had compassion on us. We should have compassion on others. Those are the four marks of a witness. We're going to take a look at our friend Andrew now and see how he might fit into this category. In John 1, 35 to 42, we see this. <clears throat> you see that John, uh, Matthew, sorry, Andrew was with uh, John the Baptist. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing, he looked the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. To be a great witness and to be an Andrew sort of person, first of all, you have to have an openness to God. You have to have a hunger. You have to be looking. You have to be seeking. Obviously, Andrew was a religious man. He was seeking something. He'd been following John and John's messages of repentance. John said, you should look over there. And he did. He looked and he moved. Goes on to say here, <clears throat> they said, uh, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And come and you will see, he replied. And they did. God continues to call people. Jesus still says that, those words, come. And when we respond to that call in our lives, we're on our way. On our way to salvation and on our way to be witnesses for others. First-hand experience of Christ. Now the second one says, a witness must be able to express themselves verbally. The first thing that Andrew did, the first thing that he did, was to go and find his brother Peter and tell him the wonderful news that they had found the Messiah. <clears throat> it's interesting that Andrew would go immediately to Peter Tells a little something about Andrew. Now, Andrew's name meant manly. That's what it was. And uh, I live in, work in a community where they have a great belief in names. And so babies are given a naming, and a naming ceremony. They're given a name. And there's something about that baby. I don't know how this happens, but they seem to be, it seems to be that those names and the person uh, come together quite nicely. Andrew probably was a manly kind of guy. He was a fisherman by trade. He and his brother held a, had a fishing business. He would be strong. He would be rugged. He would be courageous. But he would never be Peter. 
You see, Andrew lived in the shadow of Peter. Peter was a kind of a whole different cat than Andrew was. Peter was one who was quite flamboyant. He had a lot to say. Sometimes when he shouldn't have been saying it, but he had a lot to say. He was remarkable in the things he did. He actually got over the side of a boat and walked on water. Now, I know he didn't walk very far, but he did walk on water. He was the one who took a sword in his hand and tried to defend Jesus. He was the one, once empowered by the Holy Spirit, that preached a sermon that brought 3,000 people to Christ in one day. He was the first to recognize that God's message was calling him beyond his point of familiarity, and he was willing to go and to preach. He has two books that are his. This was a man who really stood out. But Andrew, Andrew was an ordinary guy. And that's why I love to talk about him, because in Andrew we see what can be done when we are willing to speak out and to speak up. We need to be able to express ourselves verbally. There's a world in need out there, and we can address that world uh, one person at a time. One person at a time. And it can be done. Andrew began where he was most comfortable, which was at home. He went home and he gave his witnesses. Jesus tells us and told his uh, disciples in Acts that you will be my witnesses where you are right now, and a little ways out, and a little farther out, and a little farther. How do we know that? Well, in Acts chapter 1, it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were, Judea, which was the country they were in, Samaria, which was a country they would not be comfortable in at all. Uh, Jews and Samaritans, uh, as you know, did not get along, did not stop Jesus from stopping at a well in Samaria and preaching to a woman who then became a witness within her community. But most Jews went out of their way to avoid Samaria. Jesus tells us that we can be witnesses in places where we are uncomfortable, when it isn't easy for us. And then finally he said, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, earth, no one is <clears throat> outside of the influence and the love of God to the world. Now, the third thing it says, of course, is a witness will have confidence in the power of God. The next picture we see of Andrew is actually still here in John, uh, and it is in the sixth chapter, verses five to nine. Now, this is a very familiar story for us. <clears throat> It is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which is kind of an underestimation. That is 5,000 men. The crowd is more diverse than that. There are men and women and children. Some scholars believe there could have been as many as 12,000 people there, all waiting to be fed. I've worked a lot of church suppers. I've had a few people to feed. I uh, actually help out at my wife's school, too, uh, and cater for events there and cook for them. And they're always there, ready to eat. One thing about it, they're always ready to eat. We understand that. We're Baptists. Whatever we do, wherever we go, we are always ready to eat. That's how we fellowship. 
That's how we share with one another, and it's how we show our love for one another, by cooking and then by eating. In this story, Jesus puts a couple of his disciples to the test. One of the things we can be very sure of in our Christian life is that we will have a moment when we are put to the test. When something comes in our life that's going to test our faith, test our belief in the love of God. I'd actually mentioned one that was really, really hard for my wife and I. Our first baby got sick. It was really easy to say why. Why, why, why? But our faith was tested and came out stronger on the other side of that. So Jesus looked up, saw the great crowd, and he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He also knew the answer to the question he was asking. There probably might have been a place to find food, but there was no way you could buy food. There were just too many people, and they didn't have any money. They were a traveling band of disciples with Jesus. None of them had a solid income. There was no way they could do it. Scripture tells us that with men, things can be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus had in mind what exactly was going to happen. Now, Along comes Andrew, and he spoke up, and he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will it go amongst these? Andrew was willing to look outside of the box. He was willing to try to bring anything that he had to Jesus, to let Jesus know that there, was, there were resources available. And they were extremely limited resources. That was a lunch for one person. That's all it was ever going to be, they thought. One lunch for one person. But something in Andrew was there that knew that he, the power of God could come into play. But he didn't exactly step out and say, I truly believe. You notice what he said? He, he had something on the end of it. He says, and what is that among all these so many people? When I was a little kid, I was given a gift of a Bible, my very first Bible. It was kind of a fake leather. It had a zipper all the way around it. And on the zipper pole, pole, pole was a little ball, glass ball, about that big. And inside that glass ball was a little tiny seed, a mustard seed. Why would I have a mustard seed on my Bible? Because Scripture tells us, Jesus said, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, just a little tiny bit of faith, you can move mountains. Didn't matter how much faith Andrew had, didn't matter how weak it might have been at the time, he still brought it to Jesus. And Jesus was able to miraculously feed that vast crowd from those very, very limited resources. He made something huge out of something small. Within our own lives, God does that. He looks at you and I, and we offer him something little. Just, it's just me. You know, what can I do? What can I do? It's just me. And his reply is, no, it's you and I together. 
It's you and I together, and that's going to make all the difference. Andrew was willing to take that chance, even though he couldn't see how a solution could come from it. He knew it was something, and he brought it to Jesus. He had something, and he brought it to Jesus. And something good came out of it. When we were young, up in the Owen Sound where I grew up, we were uh, members of the Salvation Army up there. And we had a reasonable-sized youth group. We had quite a few younger kids uh, in our church. We were part of the baby boom, of course. As you can tell from my age, we were part of the baby boom, that vast group that was born just shortly after the Second World War. And um, we had made a lot of friends going to church events, much like uh, Avalanche or Blizzard. Uh, Salvation Army had these youth events. And we also had music camps. And uh, we kind of loved going to these music camps every summer. And uh, so we made a lot of friends around. And we thought, wouldn't it be great to get our friends together just after Christmas? We could have a youth retreat right here in Owen Sound. I love this part. I really love this part. We thought, ah, Easter doesn't have anything to do with Christmas and New Year's anyway. Uh, he doesn't need to rest. Uh, <clears throat> having become a minister, I can guarantee you, we aren't going out looking for things to do between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> In fact, in our household, it was always the time we went to see my wife's family. It was, that was our family time, that spot there. But the, the minister, the officer, officer, said, yes, you can go ahead, but you've got to do it yourselves. You've got to look after it yourselves. And I wondered, how can we, you know, four or five high school students, how are we going to put this thing together? And we decided that every week, every Wednesday morning, really early, everybody would come to the church. We would have, guess what? breakfast together, we would eat together, and then we would pray. And we started that once we got the idea, which was shortly after we'd come home from music camp, and we prayed all the way up through December. And one by one, things started to fall into place. Not because of our great skills, but because God was with us. It seemed to be whenever we asked somebody, they were willing to say yes. We had to arrange billets for people to stay. We had to arrange for the food to be there. We had to arrange for a speaker. We had to arrange for fun things to do, uh, like the bargaining and hayrides and such. And it, it all came together, and it worked because we gave it over to God. And in partnership with God, we were able to accomplish something that we should not have been able to do. The power of God makes a huge difference. Now the fourth thing that we see here is that to be a witness you have to have compassion for others. Often in the Gospels you will see Jesus looking across a group of people or maybe a city for example like Jerusalem and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He just so wanted to be able to help them and do something for them. He cared about what they were going through. We had a campaign in the Salvation Army. It was one of those times when they were trying to uh, raise money for their work. And they came up with this brilliant, uh, brilliant idea, they thought. And they came up with these advertising posters which says, For God's sake, care. 
And they did not know how it was a swearing term. They went for God's sake. For the sake of God, we've got to care. Because God cares, we need to care. We need to be people of compassion. Well, where do we see Andrew in a position where he's showing compassion? Well, that comes in the 12th chapter of John, John chapter 12, <clears throat> where we see that uh, Jesus was speaking, and uh, there were some people who wanted to meet him. Now there were some Greeks among those who were up to worship uh, at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. So they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. A couple of things we see in this. First of all, there was something about Andrew's quiet way. So far, we've only seen him twice in Scripture, but there was something in his quiet way that had an impact on Philip. It was Philip who had come to Jesus and, and said, we can't do this. And immediately after it, Andrew said, yeah, but look what we got. We've got this little guy and his lunch. Philip and Andrew must have grown closer together. And so Philip brought it to Andrew so that Andrew could help him do something about it. You have to understand that to bring a, uh, someone from Greece to Jesus was not in the Jewish way of doing things. That's not how Israelites operated at that time. They believed that they and they alone were God's chosen people and that everybody else was outside of the love of God. This message, this promise, this hope was for them alone. They were an exclusive kind of people. But we are part of an inclusive religion. We are part of an inclusive faith. We understand, as we read so often in John 3.16, that God loved the whole world. Not just the Jewish nation, not just the Israelites, the whole world. Andrew felt sorry. He had compassion on these people who were outside, as far as they knew, outside of God's love. And so they did bring him to Jesus. They did bring him to Jesus, and Jesus revealed to them what his work was to, to be. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains <clears throat> only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He also goes on to say, whoever serves me must follow me. And then he said, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus spoke of his impending death and what it was going to mean. Compassion led Andrew to do that, to, to reach out to those who normally would be unreachable. Perhaps he was hearkening back to when Jesus uh, witnessed to that Samaritan woman when he told her the truth and invited her, and she then went out into her community. Three little pictures of Andrew. Three little pictures that we see here in Scripture. Now, we tend to take a lot of pictures of the things we uh, find <coughs> important. Back in the old days, my dad used to keep a uh, tin. It was almost like a recipe tin. And in that, he had all of his photographs um, that were important to him. After that, we broadened out to have big albums of pictures. And now, we can carry hundreds, uh, thousands.
thousands of pictures right in our back pocket, hold them right in our hand. If I were to go into your gallery and any of your phones, how many pictures would I find? But Andrew here is only pictured three times, but there are powerful things in what we see. That's why he was included in God's word, which is here for our instruction and to help us grow. Because when you are willing to reach out and be a witness like Andrew, when you're willing to take your personal experience with Jesus and express it verbally, and to trust in the power of God, and to show compassion, great things happen to ordinary people. Remember, Andrew was a guy who always had to live in the shadow of his bigger brother, his more well-known brother, his brother the star, so to speak. When he made mistakes, he made big ones. When he asked for forgiveness, it was big. And when he did things in the power of God, they were enormous. Andrew, Andrew just saw himself as a regular guy. But regular guys have been busy and important all through our Christian life and our Christian history. Take, for example, a man by the name of Alfred McMacken. He was a 24-year-old fa farmer back in 1934, and he became a Christian. And as a Christian, he had concern for his friends and neighbors. And when there was an evangelistic campaign taking part um, in the next town over, he took his truck, and he kept loading it up with anybody he could get and taking them to the rally. There was one young man he was kind of interested in. He was... Um, a little older, he was 26, but we saw that Albert knew, knew him and she kept trying to get him to go, come to, to these rallies with him. He wasn't interested. This guy was kind of good looking and he was really, really thought of himself as a bit of a ladies man and that's what his main interest was at that time. He just was living life and enjoying it. The only way Albert got him to go was to say, hey, how about you come and drive my truck for me? Well, he was young, he was male, of course he's going to drive a truck, right? First chance he gets back in 1934. Man, so he did. He drove, and he went to the rally, he went to the rally, and he heard things that he'd never heard before, and they had an impact on him. So then he started coming back on his own to hear the speaker over and over and over again until he gave his life to the Lord. That young man, 1934, was Billy Graham. And he went on to minister to, they estimate, over a quarter million people have heard his message. He um, was in contact with world leaders, those who were democratically elected, those who weren't. He was always there to witness. And he had a great impact in so many other ways in, in ministries that he helped found or he founded, found himself. Albert McMacken is not a name we will remember, but what he did we can never forget. He was a witness when a witness was needed, and it made a huge difference. I want you to know that in our own quiet ways, we can be like Albert McMacken. We can be Andrews. We all have opportunities in our lives to talk about Jesus with our friends and with our family. We have 
an opportunity to be a light in our communities by the way we live. We can become the witnesses. We can have all of those four things in our lives. Our first-hand experience of Christ, our willingness to express ourselves verbally, to put what we feel into words, and to have confidence in the power of God. Because it's not our words, it's not our great witness, it's not our great abilities, it's God speaking through what we're willing to give, much like Andrew bringing the loaves and the fishes. And a witness will have compassion on others. Jesus looked out and said they looked like a sheep, herd of sheep without a shepherd. And that's what we see every day in our lives, all around us, are people who are in need of Christ. We need to have compassion on them. It's not about how brave we are or how well we speak. It's about how much we love that makes us great witnesses. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the example of your disciple, Andrew. Clearly, you saw something in him that the world didn't see. And he became an example for each one of us and what, how the ordinary can become extraordinary when it's in your hands. We thank you, Lord, that your call continues looking for Andrews in this world. Help us to be brave and to step out, putting our faith in you and telling others of your great love. Amen.